welcome to the Upriser podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner. Upriser focuses on technology conversations centered in the future of work and how new technologies are applied and how work evolves. The Upriser podcast is brought to you by Topcoder. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Upriser podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner, VP of Marketing at Topcoder. I am uh, extremely excited today because I'm bringing in somebody that I didn't even know that I work or the, the, the company that she works for, that it existed. But when I learned more and more about what iWorker was and what they do and what they service, it was kind of screaming to me like the maturity of the overall freelancer, the maturity of, of Gig, the gig market, and we'll talk about why I kind of have this enthusiasm today. And with me today, I have Azariah Lehman. She is the Chief Administrative Officer at iWorker Innovations, where she and the team focus on making it easy, simpler, and more effective for independent freelancers to be able to work where they want to without putting their families or their finances at risk. We'll be discussing a number of important topics today uh, that are helping to shape the future of work and the potential impact of what is known as the Pro Act that is being considered in the U.S. Congress as we speak. So please, with that, let's welcome Azariah to the Upriser podcast. Azariah, how's it going today? Good. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Hey, thank you. Thank you for being so open. Um, I approached you maybe, I don't know, 10 days or so via, I think it was Twitter, uh, and just saying, hey, we have a, a friend in, in Mutual with uh, Matthew Matolo, who is the, um, the author of The Human Cloud. We've had him on Upriser before. And I approached, uh, I'm always looking for interesting guests because I think part of the role is there's so much happening in the freelancer space. And it's not always just about the talent or just about how you're using the talent, but there are incredible services and layers and extensions that, that are being built on top of the gig economy that are super important. So when I reached out to Matthew and said, hey, who are some people I really should be talking to? He gave me a short punch list and, and congratulations, uh, you, you made the short list and I think I tweeted you and you said, sure. So you, you came on down to Uprise. So I very much appreciate it. So Azariah, I mentioned iWorker Innovations at the onset there and I'm talking and kind of foreshadowing a little bit about these kind of extensions to what is becoming a very mainstream and very popular part of the economy, the gig economy, and the freelancer economy. And again, for me, it kind of screams about the level of maturity about what's happening overall when you start to see these other ecosystems building on top of this movement. But I'm sure there's lots of people out there listening that don't yet know iWorker Innovation. So if, if you can, can you give us kind of that, that foundation of what is it and who does it serve? Yeah, absolutely. So iWorker Innovations, really the concept started back in 2016, 2017. We uh, were part of a conference in Washington, D.C. that started addressing these issues related to the independent workforce. And I think what became very evident to us was that we had some of the leading uh, business people in the room, some of the top politicians, and it was this awareness that we thought we would maybe have, you know, 50 or 60 people ended up being standing room only 150. Um, and we're like, this, this, this is now, this is something we need to address now. And so the challenge walking away from that was really don't just say something about it. Let's do something about it. So um, I work for innovations is a digital insurance brokerage and a management firm. So we do work with customers, um, individuals and organizations, but we really focus on securing benefits, services, and resources that are customized and particularly 
dedicated to the independent workforce, which does differ from traditional benefits in many ways. So from that, we utilize different forms of technology to deliver those to uh, the individuals as well as the companies that are using them and offering them. How many years has iWorker been around at this point? And like, and how long ago was it when that epiphany was reached that you're like, hey, like you said, it's going to be less about talking about this now and really, really about finding solutions because... Uh, last count, I think there. I think I saw there's at least at least 60 million Americans. I believe is the, the number I last saw that are participating in some way, shape, or form in the gig economy. So, how how many you know years back was like the was the realization that you really ought to bring this to to the market? Yeah, definitely. So that was 2017. The policy conference was in 2017. Um, you can the videos are out there somewhere, but you could see at the end of this conference that it was just it really became that issue of we cannot just do what everybody else is doing and just mm. talk about these things. Um, we're very passionate about what we do, very passionate about securing people's work and lifestyle. And so it was, we're going to do something. And so we set out on this mission to start doing something about it. We work a little bit in the advocacy space as well. So we address policy issues. Um, we have to almost invariably when you're dealing with insurances, because yeah. it's not always accessible to the independent workforce. So 2017 is really when everything started moving forward and um, we be officially became a startup uh, about two and a half years ago. So pretty pretty accelerated too, because it's that's not yeah. that, as you know. I'm sure I'm sure for you and your team at iWorker, it's probably gone fast, right? I'm, I'm sure there's a lot that's you could look back in those those four years or so and say, wow, we've we've got a lot done. But I, I would imagine I know, I know how it is at Topcoder, the day to day and the month to the month and sometimes the year to year really seem to fly by because. Um, because there's so much momentum and it's a very energetic space in general. So kind of speaking about the energy and volume, not the individuals, but do you have a, a sense of how many different businesses, whether they're SMBs all the way up to enterprises and, and, and agencies, are leveraging gig as part of kind of like a hybrid workforce at this point? For sure. So um, I'll clarify one term. We do use the term independent worker to encapsulate all of the terminology. People call themselves gig workers, freelancers, contractors, solopreneurs. You hear all these different terms. So an independent worker yep. represents all of that. We have um, the data that we, that we look at, approximately 58 million in the United States. Those 58 million um, workers contribute roughly $1.4 to $1.7 trillion to the U.S. GDP. Wow. <laughs> right. Right now, it's about 35% of the U.S. workforce. There's different data floating around, especially right now with COVID. There's a lot of different data that's you know inconclusive at this point. But the estimates suggest that about 50% or maybe a little more of the workforce, of the total U.S. workforce, will be independent by 2024. Some sources say up to 2027, but 50%. The other thing is that this is not just a United States movement, right? Sure. So there's roughly 3.5 billion workers in the world and 1.1 billion of them are freelancers or independent workers. So it's it's not something that's stoppable, right? We, we choose to work the way that we want for a reason. And, and um, as far as businesses, this is where I think the most significant shifts have, have changed. And, and I think why we're in a space where people aren't really sure how to move and what to do and what they can't do. Approximately 30% of Fortune 500 companies even reach out to utilize the independent contractors and workforce to help meet their needs. Roughly 70% of small businesses have utilized independent contractors. And out of that, over 80% of them say they absolutely found the independent contractors to be helpful and that they would definitely continue using that work workforce to help meet their needs. 
it's kind of well beyond the cats out of the bag. But when you're talking about over a billion people globally, it really puts it in that a huge perspective, right? It's like, hey, the population of China or the population of <laughs> India, basically, right? Like they're all like, you know, globally, of course, speaking, but like that is a boatload of people that, that are in this superset. I like the way you call just independent contractor and, and then it kind of, you can kind of rush and nest all, all the other ways you can be one into that superset, which I think is the best way to look at it, to kind of have a, a macro view of, of the whole set. It's a very clean way to look at it too, um, because it really captures the, the whole movement and not just uh, micro parts of it. And then, you know, how does it actually work, right? So are people who are individuals coming to you and saying, hey, I want to understand kind of the, the digital solutions you're providing? Or is it businesses and organizations that are coming coming to you for, you know, uh, help, consultancy, and, and understanding of how they can then offer or shepherd the people that they're tapping into in the, in the independent contractor workforce and like kind of offer them, you know, benefits and, and access to benefits in kind of a neo way, or is it both sides? What's, what's the actual function? Yeah, it's absolutely both sides. So I think it was 2019, 2020, um, Harvard Business Review came out with an article that talked about how the independent workforce was changing. And there was an acknowledgement at that time that companies needed to, become the company of choice. Now that's kind of a foreign concept to people because hmm. I think there's a misnomer about independent contractors. They're not desperate. They're not right. victims, right? And so these companies came to the realization that we have to do something to not only attract, but also to retain this top talent. So um, we do work, iWorker has two primary lines of business. One is with aggregators. Um, an aggregator is anyone who either deploys or utilizes independent contractors. So it could be any number of contractors or workers that they utilize or deploy. Um, what we do with them is we customize benefits and packages and services for that particular work group, meaning, you know, obviously a construction worker is going to need something different than an IT worker. Right. We customize those packages, we make them available to their workers so that they have access to them. Now, the key to that is that the companies are not the ones that are paying for those benefits, right? Because that would sure. be, you know, a huge issue. But so they're not paying for them, but they're making them available and accessible. Um, they deliver them through the technology that we offer, which is a platform as a service. That way they have access and it shows and demonstrates that these companies are really doing the best thing for these workers. They, there's no ill will, like they're not trying to avoid employment. They're, they're really trying to meet the needs of these workers who, by the way, they're not going to take no for an answer. Like you're not going to convince an independent worker to all of a sudden become an employee. It's just not going to happen, right? Yeah. So it, it, it increases their social awareness and demonstrates their social responsibility, but then it also increases the morale of the worker and it gives that company an opportunity to become the company of choice. It's less about kind of island hopping one-to-one. -one. It's more about, you know, really focusing, like you said, on different parts of the individual contractor and really, really trying to think through their POV on like, well, what would they need if that's, if that's how they make their living? Uh, and to your point, by the way, I work a ton. Top Coder is a giant community of 1.6 million members. And, uh, and they're all treated as, as, as you know, they, they would fit into that superset that you described of that 1.1 billion. Absolutely. And I work with them all the time. I've got, I've got copywriters and designers and just yeah. all these different folks. I've tried to hire you know, uh, some of the, some of the people that I'm like, Hey, would you just join my marketing team full time? Like, I, I, and they're like, uh, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Like they, it's, it's a couple of things, right? They, they, the free agent, uh, mindset, their, their ability to 
take the gigs and take the work that they want to engage in. And the freedom that comes along with that is, I think, really, really uh, paramount. And then I think a lot of times, too, it's besides the freedom, sometimes it's, it's their most economical way to maximize themselves, too. You know, it's, it's not just about, uh, it's not just about a, a, a freer lifestyle because I was talking to one of my, one of my uh, people that I work with, uh, a copywriter, and she's, and she's like, she's like, you know what, like during COVID, she's out in California, very specifically, uh, even a harsher lockdown than other parts of the States for sure. And she's out in San Diego. She's like, she's like, what the heck could I do? She's like, so I just did a lot, even more work than I normally would do. It's like, I just throttled my, my workload. Um, and that's when you're when you're into a one-to-one relationship with the company as an as an FTE, you know that's not usually going to be the case. Just, that's not how it works. Um, but but that kind of freedom that she had to really manipulate her time during a period where she had excess time, just kind of a microcosm of of why people, uh, and I think why more and more people do like it. And I, I love the term you said, like they're not desperate. They're making a a very very sell, a smart choice to participate the way they are, and actually many of them, if they wanted to, could probably become an FTE. They just it's, right. it's just not for them, you know. Or the industry doesn't kind of work that way, right? So it's it's just it's just an interesting thing because as we'll talk a little bit later with the pro act that's on the uh, the U.S. Congress floor. Sometimes those good intentions and sometimes the ideas of protection, uh, and when you bundle all these people together, they don't represent the different factions. They don't represent no. different people's lifestyles. And you could end up, you know, uh, with the proverbial throwing the baby out with the bathwater and having some consequences that were likely not intended. I think we're going to get, you know, get to that yeah. a bit later too. I don't want to paint the picture that being a freelancer and all that is, is just some, you know, dreamy love boat scene. And it's all, it's all rainbows <laughs> and, and, and sugar. It's so easy. But there, you know, there are legitimate things that a, 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 someone that's working as an independent contractor in that workforce they're going to forego. So from your perspective, what are the biggest things that, that people do forego? Because like your mission is to, it sounds like mitigate risk, like take the risk off the table so people can make that choice when they want to and it not be this thing that's bearing down on them. That's like, do I do this you know, individually and become a, a contractor in this way? Or do I kind of go the route where I get certain guarantees because of a certain style of how I'm categorized as, as an as a you know as an employee. Um, so what what are those things that you look at and focus on that you think they're, they they do put some more risk on the table as individuals? Yeah, for sure. I, there's a, there's a lot of micro things that people don't think about. I mean, first of all, like you mentioned, it, it for some people employment is just not going to work for them. I spent right. over 17 years working with at risk teenagers, and many of them were brilliant, but they're not going to be employees. They're, they're better off working for themselves, right? So when they make that decision, um, one of the biggest things that's always on the table, and when we started this whole process, it really, we were looking at um, association healthcare plans. There was some legislation that was on the table that was going to pass, um, at what, and then it was pulled back about providing group-rated healthcare plans for independent workers. And so the AHPs, um, that failed. So one of the biggest things is group-rated healthcare plans. So we're actively working to, to fix that. Workers' compensation, obviously, is one of those um, items. Unemployment, however, unemployment is state-based. So there are some states where you can contribute. Um, a minor thing that people don't think about, jury duty coverage. What if you got stuck on the O.J. Simpson trial and you were an independent contractor? That went on forever. Yeah. 
what would you do with your income? So things like that. They also are pay higher rates on liability insurance. Um, there's no protection for them against discrimination. We'll talk a little bit about that with the PRO Act. There was a movement, I'm, I'm currently in Michigan, and, and, and back in the day, this happened where the independent contractors were forced to park in a parking lot miles away and basically, you know, walk to the building because they weren't supposed to be in the union parking lots. It, it, the other thing that we've seen, this is in 2019, we saw that there's issues always when uh, they're not, the contracts are not paid out. So this happened when the government, when the federal government shut down mm. and these independent contractors were not getting their contracts honored. So in essence, those organizations were in breach of contracts um, and, and many of them didn't collect that money. There was efforts to, to fix that, but that's an issue too. If, if something happens like that, their only option is to take them to court, which again, costs more money and yes. time. A yep. couple other little things would be uh, retirement. Obviously, everybody has access to retirement funding, um, but how that's utilized is, is not always beneficial to the independent worker. There's some uh, things that have taken place. 2019 also was a big year. We, uh, the SECURE Act passed, and it helps independent workers in the sense that now if you withdraw from your um, retirement, there is a certain amount you can withdraw for um, qualified adoptions or births. So you think a normal employee would have um, time off for mm -hmm. a birth. Independent contractors have no way to cover that. So this is an opportunity for them to utilize a small portion of that to help meet those needs during that time so they can you know, be at home with their babies and family. Um, the other thing which is really um, critical for me, you know, as, a, as an educator too, is, is education, educational opportunities. So when you think about companies, Starbucks is one of them. For a long time now, they've had this partnership with Arizona State University. It's a phenomenal program. Well, independent contractors don't really have access to stuff like that. Um, we have solved for that. I'll just mention this real quick. Through the association that we work with, IPSI, we were able to secure a partnership with a university called Cleary University, hmm. and they have um, uh, several online programs. They offer anyone who is a member of, a, of the association 50% off their tuition. That's never been done. It's never been heard of. You only get those opportunities right when typically when you're an employee. So lots of little things and then some bigger things that do put their families at risk, like loss of money and, and, and if they get hurt or injured on the job. And it all kind of, you know, it's like you said, some of them are kind of smallish or on the fringe that, that the average person would not be thinking about day to day because you just kind of take it for granted that that, okay, yeah, if that happens and I'm an employee, well, I've got certain protections or that's just, that's the way it goes. Um, you know, if I'm having a kid, I could take a certain right. amount of time off, right? That this, it's, right. it's almost, it's, it's almost common sense, sensical. And like you said, it doesn't, doesn't yet exist for, um, for the independent contractor world, not all of it yet. And it's awesome to hear that, you know, really the best you could do is kind of like analyze them and try to solve them, uh, solve them one by one and then bucket them where they make sense through legislation and then partnerships kind of solve them one by one, like you talked about with the university, because 50% off is, that's huge. That's a huge, huge I percentage. wish I would have had that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I'm 43. I just finished, I paid up my UConn debts, I don't know, about two and a half years ago. I was finally free. I'm like, all right, that's done. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, so I get it too. Uh, and, and, that, and that's okay. So, so then from your perspective, there is additional risk. And then I was mentioning some of the lifestyle things that, that, people, that people do, that they opt into it regardless of the risk or in spite of, they're like the, the right. risk reward. From your perspective, what do you see or research that you look at? What are the main factors that, that you believe are why an individual does forego the traditional uh, you know, employee path and, and becomes an independent contractor? 
All right, so I'm going to get geeky for a second. <laughs> I am a psychologist. So one of the things that I would say is we do not yet fully understand the differences between independent workers and employees. So there are some significant differences, and we're currently looking into those differences because you do have to work with them differently. There's a certain mindset that is assumed, but we can't quite say we have a full grasp on, right? So with that understanding and the assumption that we know that they are different, most of them would say that they're very satisfied with what they do. Over 94% would say they, they're satisfied with their work style. They, they enjoy what they do. They don't want to change, um, even in the face of looking at income. So hmm. many people find this interesting. The average income for an independent worker is $68,000 to $75,000 a year. So a lot of people, that doesn't sound like a lot of money. But if you ask an independent worker, do you want to make more? Most of the time, the response to that is going to be no, because with that comes taking away of some of their freedoms and their lifestyle is the number one thing that they like. Um, we're doing a poll right now and it's still the number one answer. What is the number one reason why you continue to work this way? And it's flexibility. They, they want the flexibility. They want to live their life the way they want to. Um, Independent workers, by the way, are uh, statistically speaking, healthier and happier because hmm. they have a better work-life balance, right? Um, the other thing is many of them feel like choosing this work style um, gives them more economic security, which we actually did see just happen in COVID. So we'll right. talk about that. But yeah. for a lot of people, it makes them feel like they, um, for whatever their circumstances were, it helped them get unstuck from a poor economic situation. So many different reasons, but overall, the lifestyle and the freedom to do what they want, how they want, when they want it, you can't take that away from them. That's why I said they're not going to all of a sudden become employees. It's just not going to happen. Not not most of them, right? Some of them might. Some of them might go over as as they maybe maybe they get older and they want that later. That's okay. Like that that might be a natural progression. Or no, you just kind of you get used to your lifestyle and that's that's what you really want to drive. And even when it is time for, let's say you're you're going from your 30s into your 40s or 20s to 30s, and it is time for if you're going to have children. But you just you you can manage. You just you figure it out in a different way. That does that doesn't require the traditional path. Which, by the way, the traditional treadmill. Once you're on it, is that's hard to leave. That's hard to leave. When you know, so many people I know uh, have tons of great skill and likely could go go be and go be part of the independent workforce. But the, the safety net would be would be gone. It would be very difficult to to do so for. For uh, for folks, if I work at a technology company, right? So I know I know lots of different people uh, like that. And with that too, I think the um, at Top Coder, especially when we talk about our community members, uh, most often it, it's it's going to mirror what you see too. It, it's mm -hmm. just about the desire that they they can get up and go and move. And and a lot of them, we're, we're in IT, so the work can be digital it was all you know it's all digital so you can work from cafes you could you we've got a, we've got this um faction called the top coder nation on facebook it's run by some of our like most awesome members of top coder and mm -hmm. they put it up just to showcase the lifestyle like that's oh, it wow. it's just like people yeah. go going around the globe doing their thing living where they're living uh, having the adventures that they're having and, and also they're doing them as individuals, but then they're meeting up with other top coders in all different parts of the world, especially as, as we're exiting COVID globally. And it's just this, they just want to showcase the, the ability that you could make a different choice. And, and with that, you could have these really cool freedoms. You know, you could have these <laughs> that, that a lot of people just are not either not willing to step through and, 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 and you know, kind of take on that they could have it too, or, well, that's probably, probably really, that's it. There's the other folks on the other side are just not, not in a 
position of comfort. Um, and by the way, do you, do you see this? This is interesting. Do you see data about that kind of breaks down with age also? Like, the, is, is, does it trend younger? I mean, I'm guessing it does. And then what does that mean as it goes forward as, as the people who are now 25 become 35, 40? What do you expect? Do you think they stay in this? Or do you think they kind of a trip, if you will, into, into traditional labor? We've seen so many changes just in the past year on this topic. So I'm going to go back um, BC before COVID. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. And interestingly, one of our biggest constituencies was was 48 to 56 and sometimes a little bit older. And people will say, well, why is that? And, and I'm going to speak to why I think this is shifting, right? I think, and this is just my opinion, um, having been raised in a, uh, with, with a grandfather who was heavily union-minded, and, and that's not a negative thing. It's just that that was what you did. You got a job sure. and you got a pension, right? So yep. what, what I saw was I think that a lot of the younger generation is kind of disenfranchised by that movement because they. I also, I was one of those people. I saw my grandfather's pension taken away from him. I saw his benefits being cut day after day after day because frankly, they didn't expect him to live that long, right? So hmm. before COVID, we saw this age group of 55, around 55, um, engaging in independent work because many times they found they weren't prepared for retirement. And so they were looking for ways to supplement that. Now, during and after COVID, what we saw was the age group that appears to be most interested, and this is based on the past eight months of data that we have collected, um, is actually 18 to 35. Um, there's a huge influx between 18 and 35. Hmm. Um, more, more women appear to be interested, but more men actually take action and, and go into that which is also not surprising. Where we see the drop-off, and this has stayed stable over the years, is usually around the birthing ages, right? So mm. whatever that age bracket is now, it's older than it used to be, right? Yeah. So you see when people are having families and young children, that's when they might drop off in, in favor of more security, yeah. you know, meaning health insurance usually. Yep. And then they usually go back to it because you can't take that out of them, right? A lot of people, if they choose to work that way, that's what they enjoy and they're not going to go back. They're being an employment employee is not forever. Yeah, I love, 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 you know, kind of geeking out on the stats and what you've seen. And then were there any other, you know, so COVID hits and then for, for iWorker and just other, other movements that you've seen that were just, you know, indisputable at this point that the data, the data is what the data is. Anything else that you, that you saw that now, now that COVID has come through and we're about 15 months in it or something like that now to, to a, a post, you know, post COVID being a reality thing. What else is, uh, what else is coming up for you and your data? You know, you have to deal with the stereotypes in some ways. So independent workers choose to call themselves different things for a variety of reasons. And I think it's important to go back and visit the semantics of that for a second, mm -hmm. because there was at a time kind of a negative connotation to a gig worker. Absolutely, like, yeah. That was somebody that just showed up playing, you know, their guitar on the weekends or something. Um, and so the, the terminology for that has changed a little bit, but that's important because I want to say that there's also self-employed professionals and that's what they choose to call themselves. So there's people we, we work with, data scientists, we work with people who are working in pharmaceutical labs. Like there, we work with one organization that has some of the leading physicians and anesthesiologists in the nation. These are not people who are just working for Uber and Lyft, by the way. So I think it's important to note that, but I say that because while I think the, um, the thought process would have been that independent workers had less stability during COVID. That wasn't true. They actually found over 75% of workers found uh, independent workers actually reported having more work and more stability. 
And I think that speaks to the employment scenario too. Like having an employment position does not guarantee stability. And the reason I think that is too, is independent workers often have skill sets in a variety of areas. Um, and, and many of these independent workers during this time, they'll tell you their, their income actually increased, right? And we do know also that the uptick on utilizing independent workers was to over 25% or yeah. around 25%. So we have seen those changes. Um, we've seen a lot of people not going back. What we're seeing right now, and I just talked to somebody about this the other day um, in the IT space, actually, kind of this grand movement of where are people going now? So people who were employees, a lot of them are now, now that COVID's kind of, we can kind of see it in our rear view a little bit. A lot of people are making changes and shifts where they did a little bit of independent work and now that's all they want to do. So we're seeing a lot of that movement right now. Little, uh, still to be seen what happens with that, but definitely movement. Yeah, that, that's, it's, it's super interesting. I mean, it's just in, in my own household, my wife is a, uh, she's a, a coach, personal trainer. Uh, she does, you know, like kickboxing and all, all sorts of sessions and, and uh, bar and, and all, all sorts of certifications. So for her, it was like a time to ramp up on her certs and we built a home gym. You know, it's like, well, here we go. Like, we, we got to go. And, and of course, you know, that's just one storyline. And of course, lots of uh, personal trainers did exactly that. And you were able to find ways to do it, whether that was being outside and being, being safe and doing things with, uh, with pockets of people or live streaming, you know, in a brand new way from your, from your garage or basement, right? So, uh, and, and the, the pivotability was really there too. I, I look at COVID and, and think like, hey, if that was 100 years ago, uh, well, I think a lot of, many things would have been different. There's no Twitter. There's no, who knows what happens 100 years ago <laughs> right. uh, with, with something like COVID. Now, this time there was, there's cloud. There's, there's Zoom. There's there were so many ways for uh, for the for the independent workers to extend that just simply didn't ha, didn't exist last time there was there was a pandemic on that scale. So that was a really interesting you know amalgamation of the technology and the willingness uh, and which which allowed for the pivotability of so many of these people right when they had to. Um, and that was an interesting thing to to kind of uh, to kind of observe. And a lot of that is. Now we have this home gym. Great. Now she's getting back to physical clients and she's back in her studio. Awesome. All good things. And she still has more virtual customers and things she does virtually now that are not going away. So mm -hmm. it's, it's not like it was not zero sum. It was simply like a divergence and then, and there's a new path. And I think a lot of it, I, I get a little nutty when people talk about, Oh, the office is dead and we're never going to go back to this. And this is definitely like, guys, we say this all the time. Like mm -hmm. I'm a New, I'm a New Yorker. After 9/11, we said we're never doing this again. And, we're, and after the 2008 crash, we're never going to let home prices do this again. Okay, it's 2021. I don't know if you check the prices of homes lately in in, you know, in different areas, but guess what? It's happening again. Um, so I try to avoid the the hyperbole of we're never doing this again or or that's it. This part of this is dead. What I think really often happens is is that a new path is carved, and and it's and it's just a new formation that brings in something new and then probably keeps something of, of the old relationship too. And then it's just a new way forward for people to, to live, um, which I think for billions of people actually became a more opportunistic um, potential life post-COVID because of all the things that just happened and because of the way people were able to figure things out because, because they were able to with, the, with those tech, technical advances, which I think is super cool. And, you know, sometimes not talked about enough, but, uh, but I do dig that. So 
I do want to pivot. I do want to talk a bit about the, the PRO Act with you. So my layperson uh, look at the PRO Act is there's a piece of legislation, and actually it looks like it was trying to be tucked into the uh, the, the big construction bill, essentially, which I don't know why, why that's in there, but that's that's Washington, D.C. politics. I won't go there. And with the, the nuts and bolts of, from my perspective, and check me on this, is that the bill would attempt to identify what are independent contractors and then put basically put the quote unquote burden on the people who are employing them for that work to to basically treat them and categorize them as an employee for certain things that that would be potentially owed back to the to the individual worker that's my layperson uh, attempt at at describing it am i fairly close and what am i missing one of the things i think that's so important with the pro act is to really kind of set the stage and lay the foundation for some of the rationale behind this. The first thing I think is it's so important for people to realize that so many of the antics and quotes that they're hearing about the independent workforce, that data generally is taken from a sample um, that represents gig workers that are platform workers like Uber Mm -hmm. and Lyft drivers. That's less than 1% of the independent workforce. So it's not a representative sample. So that's the first thing I think it's important for people. Because when people hear, you know, these injustices that are being right. done, it, that's not really the case. That's one less than 1%. And that's no way to demean them, but it is less than 1% of the representative sample. So mm. what it would do is go back, and I'm sure you've heard the ABC test. Yes. The biggest thing for me, and this is where, um, because honestly, we could spend an hour going into some of the union initiatives tucked in with this, right? Mm. But the ABC test, the B, the, the, the letter B is the issue. And so it says, essentially, you're not an independent contractor if you're doing the same primary line of business or work that the company does. So let me give you this ridiculous example. And it's a little controversial on purpose because hear me out. First of all, I'm a huge supporter of our military. But listen, listen, this is how ridiculous it is. So if you have Air Force pilots and they decide they have tons of planes that have to be moved and they need a little assistance. So they tap the Marine pilots and they say, hey, help us move these planes. We're going to contract you guys to help these move these planes. Do you want to be the one that goes up to the Marine and tell them, oh, by the way, now you're an airman. Just because they do the same line of work does not mean that they're all of a sudden that company, right? And so that's what they're saying. It's that ridiculous where if, and the same thing happened to journalists, the journalists are in uproar about this because if you write, right, for for a magazine or for a paper, because you're doing the same line of work, now you're all of a sudden supposed to be an employee. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. And that is the biggest issue that independent workers have with this is, it's trying to reclassify us in ways that are not meaningful. Um, in some instances, to address what there's, people are saying that they're um, attacking some of the fair labor standards. Now, again, if you are arguing some of the differences with some of the platform-based companies, that's where they're getting their data from. Not a good representation, in my opinion. And and by the way, we're huge supporters of Uber and Lyft as well. But yeah. for people who choose to work like that they have other options. Like, I don't, I can't speak for Uber and Lyft, but I would say they didn't set out to create an employment position where they wanted full-time workers. It was designed for gig workers who wanted to pick up and make extra money. So that's the biggest difference. And I think that's where most people have the issue is in that one uh, particular categorization. And I think those are, you know, the the examples are are super, super effective. I remember reading one when the, because it was AB5 in California that I think first passed 
and I, and I'm, I'm a musician and played music for many, many years. It's, uh, I, I went to school to be a pharmacist and then I stopped playing. I, I stopped studying when I started playing guitar and you know, the rest is history. It's all, it's all good. I, no, no regrets. Um, a lot, a lot of fun, in fact. And with that, I was reading that um, some music venues in California were forced to close. Not forced to close. They had to close because of the classification. Because they were hiring, of course, musicians as bands or individuals to come in and play a gig, like traditional play the gig. And because of the new classification, the music venue, what the workers were doing, doing the work that the music venue, you know, basically services and sells. Therefore, it broke that rule and they have to treat them as employees and they're like well we can't <laughs> we, we we economically it's not feasible we can't we have to pay them per gig like we've always done and they had to shut their doors and, and basically batten the hatches on, on um some you know some some really historic places from what i read too so it's to me it's again it's it's that baby out with the bathwater where there there yeah. might be some notions of, of 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 protections um and typically they they may be rooted in in a in, in an attempt to provide something that people think they're lacking and, and then the downstream consequences could be so to the negative that that they just didn't think through scenarios it seems like right. or didn't care to you know didn't care to take it to take it to edge cases like you like you just said with the the airman and the marine where all of a sudden now now you are an employee because because of the thing you do i mean what if what if a designer goes to work for an agency as as a as part of an independent contractor because they're bursting out because they 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 have so much business that's a good thing right mm-hmm. like if an agency's booming they're like hey we gotta we gotta burst out and flex we get get ten more designers they bring them in a freelance capacity all of a sudden they have to you know they can't do that they have to classify them as an employee and it's maybe besides the fact that it might take a real long time to hire someone traditionally and then of course all those additional layers of cost and end of the day too where's the cost end up in that scenario where's the cost end up going if the work still gets done it probably gets passed on to the customer right so it gets yeah. it gets added as almost like a de facto tax and passed on to the customer to pay for so um, it's a very interesting piece of legislation so from your perspective like what happens to the independent workforce if it's if it's passed i mean i know you we're talking about scenarios but back to the macro what happens to the movement if uh, such a sweeping piece of legislation is passed yeah that's tough so right now the prognosis was maybe 55% chance of passing. Um, I think the majority of people that you'll talk to will say that that's just not going to happen, that it won't pass. And so that's our hope. So let's just hopefully stay in that mindset. Hmm. But if it did, it would significantly impact the income of the independent workforce in general. But with that, one of the most damaging things I think is affecting the psyche of these workers. They thrive on autonomy, mastery, purpose, Without that, you're going to change the culture of our nation too. This is this is not healthy mentally, right? The other thing um, for the businesses, this is this is the thing I just don't understand: the unintended consequences that are not being considered. You are willingly letting go of a lot of diversity, a mm-hmm. lot of equity, a lot of inclusion, a right. lot of innovation. You need all of these different types of people and workers to keep adding that, you know, those different layers of what our nation is. You're taking that away. Most business owners, um, Jay Timmons, he is the um, National Association of Manufacturing. There's a quote by him that talks about how this is not 
productive for either side of the house. And he said, it's basically a lose-lose scenario that we, neither side wants this. It's going to negatively affect both of us and lead to declines in productivity and morale. That's huge. So what will happen in the independent workforce is they won't stop fighting. This won't, this will just be another iteration where we're going to keep going round for round. I mean, here's the thing, you know, you can put us in the boxing ring as many times as you want. We're not going to quit. And of course, American politics will ebb and flow, but that's just that, that, that will happen, right? So every, every four years or every eight years, there tends to be some changes and that's just the way, (laughs) that's the way it goes. And, and, and they're, they're more, and often, and certainly, um, certainly the last 20 years, they're more polarized. Like when, when a different faction gets power versus the next faction that might take power um, yeah. versus say, you know, uh, you know, 25, 30, 35 years ago where it was a little bit different in, uh, in, in DC, I feel like. What comes to mind for me is um, I've interviewed Paul Estes. He's, he's uh, someone that I, w- I would consider a friend. He worked at Microsoft for many, many years and he developed the, like, this kind of independent worker uh, you know, manifesto and playbook of how, how to ingratiate and use freelancers at that, that's how he framed it, but use them at scale and use them in a way that was equitable and use them as a way, as a way that you could be woven into the enterprise uh, with, with, you know, with forethought. And one of the things that Paul talks about that you just touched on is, he's like, hey, such a big missing piece that people don't really get. He's like, and yet it's, it's right there, is the idea that with contractors and with, uh, if you call it crowd or gig or freelancers, again, the entire superset comes in an amazing diversity. He's like, you don't have to put the bumper sticker on there and shout about it. He's like, just act that way and be open to all walks of life uh, being part of, part of what you do as an organization and uh, you know, remove those barriers naturally because platforms and things like that will now afford you to do that. You'll get rid of a lot of... Um, traditional barriers to entry for opportunity. He's like, and with that, you just attract talent to come to good work and they self-select in. He's like, and you get diversity. He's like, you'll get, you, you'll get cultural diversity. You'll get diversity of thought, diversity of skill sets, diversity of experience. He's like, and, and he's like, not enough people are putting the two together. So I was really happy to hear you kind of uh, discuss that, that point of it too. And I do think you're right. I do think the consequence would be that if, if it does get passed, you end up putting traditional labor back in silos where they, where they don't have the option to go outside, outside the four walls as they certainly were doing pre-COVID and then really accelerated into as COVID hit. Um, right. It'd be a very, very difficult thing to, for those companies to go back to. And I think that like, you've hit it, um, really hurt productivity. And as a consequence, really hurt the ability to have a more diverse, uh, diverse workforce uh, just because you're reaching out beyond your four walls in, in, a, in a brand new way that technology enables. So super, super cool of you to bring that up. It's, it's a great point. Okay, so let's say it doesn't pass and iWork Innovations is doing their thing, right? So what are the other things and the next things that groups like yours and specifically your group, what are you looking to next? What are you saying, okay, these are big things we could help make easier and better for the independent workforce as like the next few call it months or maybe years. I'm not sure how long kind of movements like that take for your org, but can you give us, give me a little hint of what's on the nearer term horizon for things you'd love to see tackled? What we find across the spectrum, and this goes from the 18 year olds to the 65 year olds and above, right? There is in the independent workforce, there can be a lack of education about the benefits and resources that they need or that are available to them. So 
educating the individuals about these products and services is critical. And how, what we're gonna do to help solve that is we're actually going to be releasing pretty soon. Um, it's, a, it's basically a piece of technology that is AI driven and it will walk them through those decision-making factors to come up with a benefits package that suits their family, their lifestyle, whatever the case might be, um, and helps them make those choices. Because that's the thing, you, you put 10 choices in front of them and it just takes, they're, they're busy, they're working, yeah. they're not gonna read everything. So that's one of the things that we're doing, um, along with, of course, trying to secure um, different healthcare options. Those I think are the biggest things um, there's also policy initiatives, obviously, that we want to continue to work on, uh, working with trying to encourage the Insurance Commission to see these as work groups, not defined mm. by work style. That's critical. So I think that, that that sums it up. It sums it up and they're big honking things, right? So yeah. like they, 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 they're, not, they're not light switches that you could just say, like, that's my, my opinion. And then blammo, we're going to change that. They are things that take genuine politicking and influence and, and, you know, and positioning and understanding from getting people behind it in such a way that they, that they agree. Right. And then want to go to bat for you and say, yeah, that's, I agree with that position. And that's a healthier way for, for us to move forward with this huge piece of our economy that, that seemingly is going to continue to grow. So I think I want to end on, on the, the last part about this idea of a continuation in your vantage point, your, your point of view, what happens next? Like, where does this go? Are we going to hit some point of saturation? And if so, how much more room do you think the independent workforce in general has to bloom over the next, let's say, two to five years? So, to, to, yeah, to close that out, I would say I have always argued that you have to have the left and the right hand pushing together to help create uh, what the independent workforce needs. And, and what I mean by that usually is the insurance commission and then the policy and advocacy issues, we have to push from both sides. So I think we have to continue to see these things push from both sides. Um, how much more room? The third component is the companies, right? So what's going to happen? The companies are utilizing independent workers. That's not going to stop. And so the companies and the workers together have a huge influence on how this is going to play out. I don't see that momentum slowing down at all. I see this as kind of a roadblock and a hiccup right now that we're going to get around. We are great at overcoming obstacles. I think we'll continue to do that. And also moving forward, I think one of the best things that independent workers can do, um, we have to be advocates for ourselves, right? There's a, a group of us that are talking about, um, we're developing basically a self-attestation component where it mm -hmm. says, listen, I'm old enough to tell you that I'm an independent worker. So at risk of being controversial, which I like to do, um, <laughs> there. This is the this is the insanity of, of it to me, and and this is not discrediting anybody. But we live in a nation where, if somebody is born a man, they just and they determine that they identify as a woman. We have to accept that, and if we don't, we're considered discrimination, right? It's considered discrimination, and yet. On a much less invasive level, yeah. I can't tell you that I'm an independent worker and have that accepted as fact. So what we want to do is create um, kind of a, a, method, a methodology for people to self-declare independent work, which takes away this nonsense of, you know, fair labor standards and stuff like, I'm, I'm willing, I'm adult, I'm, I understand, you know, um, post-conventional rationale and morality, I can make these decisions. And so that's where I think the independent workforce needs to go is, is basically standing up for ourselves and taking that next step to say, I can handle this. This is my life. Right. And it's, and it's a, it's a choice, right? It's an independent choice. Yeah. One of the things we talk about at Top Quitter all the time is that the bulk of our work, in fact, all the work that, that we present to the community is about self, it's about self uh, selection, 
It's about people who want to look at the work and say, ooh, and for, for whatever reason, oh, that pays well. I, I'd love it. Oh, that's a project for NASA on a cool data science project. Yeah. Man, I, I'd love to go geek out with them and do this. You know, <laughs> And because so much more of the work is becoming componentized and be, being able to be broken down so specialists can go do things um, via technologies like we talked about, people have more freedom. They have more choice and, and the ability to stand up and say, that is the lifestyle I want for all the reasons we talked about today, which is which I think is a great and lovely place to conclude the conversation. So Azariah, what are some places that folks can follow you and iWorker Innovations? What's the best place for them to learn more about you? And of course, you know, the work that you are, you're leading. Sure. So um, iWorker, our website, and we're actually currently redoing that. So the new launch, the website with it should be within the next week or so. Um, so iWorker Innovations. Uh, the other thing I would suggest is to find out more about the policy and advocacy issues that we're involved in. And those initiatives, um, IPSI US, um, our partner, the Association of Independent Workers, visit that site. You can find out more about those policy initiatives because they do handle that side, the policy, more so than iWorker does. We are involved. Um, me personally, I'm traditional independent worker mindset. I probably need to get a little bit better at promoting and talking about myself. I don't do that well, but if you wanted to, you could find me on LinkedIn. Very cool. Awesome so much. So we have been chatting with Azariah Lehman, the Chief Administrative Officer at iWork Innovations. It's really been just a fascinating conversation. And I appreciate, I like that you came to this and that, you know, you could have your opinion, you could present the case logically for why some of these cases, when it comes to the PRO Act, really just start to break down logic and say, does that, does that make sense for what these people are and how they want to identify as independent workers? So a great job doing all that and really, really cool to see, like I let out with, the understanding that things like iWorker innovations exist in the first place just tells if you got your spidey set, you know, you got your hat on, your spidey sense is tingling going, it the whole movement is maturing because services and platforms like yours have to exist. There's a need for them to be there because there's so many people who are looking to live that lifestyle and they want it to be simple. They want the simplicity that comes with some of the other things a traditional a traditional lifestyle gives them. So it's a great job. Love, love what you what you and the team are doing at, at iWork Innovations, and look forward to uh, staying up to date with how you're progressing and all, all the big things you're trying to tackle because they they are hard things, but they're definitely worth the fight. So thank you so much for joining us on the Upriser Pod today. Thanks. Nice nice having you. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the Upriser podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcasts, so it's pretty easy. And of course, I encourage you to follow us out on social at Upriser, U-P-R-I-S-O-R on Twitter. And also, I would encourage you to follow Topcoder at Topcoder, T-O-P-C-O-D-E-R. 